The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Welcome to The Link, the podcast that links the past to the present for those who went to high school in the 1980s. This is producer David Yaz, but more importantly, let me introduce you to the personalities that make up The Link, Farah Pandith, Diana Donovan, and Meredith Zinner. My friends! How's everybody doing? Great. Thanks, Dave. Doing awesome. great. My How are pl- you? My pleasure. So, you, before we started recording, Diana tried to take over the show and, <laughs> and just kind of announce everyone, so she clearly... <laughs> came armed today for this episode of The Link, but remind us, Diana, you can start, remind us who you are and maybe why we're doing this. And then in a moment, we're going to introduce our guest. Great. Okay. Well, I'm Diana Donovan, member of the class of 86. And we, should I let the other ones go or should I just say what we're doing? I'll just say what we're doing. Just, yeah. We are talking to our classmates kind of about what they remember, who they were back then, who they've become today how this hellacious last year has been and any sort of threads we want to follow. So we're super excited. Sounds like a show. Farah, do you agree? Disagree? Oh, of course I agree. (laughs) I agree with everything Diana says. I'm Farah Pandit. I am so thrilled to be doing this with my friends, Dave, Diana, and Meredith. We really wanted to get a chance to get a snapshot of what we're all doing. So this is a great way to do it. And thanks for helping us, Dave. And Meredith, your thoughts as we kick this episode off. Hello, this is Meredith Zinner. I am. And super, super excited. We have an awesome guest. We do. Woo-hoo! Which, which we'll get to as soon as you answer this question. Why are you wearing a, a babushka hat that makes you look like Marina Oswald <laughs> or something? I, I am wearing a babushka hat that makes me look like a woodland creature because we currently, <laughs> this is such a snotty thing to say, but we have a, a fabulous person cleaning our home. And in order to... So fancy. I know. <laughs> in, in order to do that, we need the windows open oh, so it's cold. Um, and mast and all that stuff. So that's why there, it's okay. freezing. There you go. So, And that's why I'm... I think you should wear a hat maybe... Every time, I could. every every episode, different hat. So, who would like <laughs> to who would like to introduce our guest? Diana. I'll introduce our Go guest. So, we're really excited to have Kamala Perel on today. And I don't even know Kamala has been doing so many amazing things since we graduated, and she was always sort of way ahead of us anyway. So, I cannot wait to hear just what she's up to. She's got a whole filmmaking career, which she Ooh. did on top of a whole religious studies professor career. And she's lived in a million different places and she has a family and she's active in the community and she's met a bunch of really cool people. So and she looks amazing. So, she looks the same. But let's keep talking so she can't talk. <laughs> We're just going to talk about her. She looks amazing. Just Give us the uh, brief version of what's happened in your life since high school, if possible. <laughs> oh, past 30 years. Why don't you, could you sum up the last? <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, maybe I'll, I'd always start with the present because that's what I remember best. Yeah, right now I am, for the past uh, six years, I've been making my way in the documentary film 
industry in and living in kind of in the outback in my hometown in Canada, sort of in the woods out here, raising a couple of kids. And yeah, so to get here, it's a long, it's a long story. But very briefly, I lived in I lived in England for about fifteen years, and I did a degree out there. In, Which degree? I did got a got a PhD in the end in basically like historical theology. And what brought you studies. there? What brought me to England? Yeah. Let's see. Well, I did the, my first degree was in religious studies, and I just kind of put together a bunch of things that I had. I had I had some ancient languages. Was interested in you know why people believe what they believe, and interested in the history of ideas. So I sort of put together this project to study early Christian philosophy, <laughs> and and then yeah, and then I was really lucky, got a a full ride to go to to Cambridge, and did that. Oh, we've heard of that school. <laughs> I just like. That little place on the cam. Uh, yeah, and so that was amazing. It was an amazing experience. And from there, I went and I... So what brought me there was just basically like an offer I couldn't refuse. And and then it was, yeah, it was an amazing experience. And, I, and I, then I taught in Colorado for a while. And then what I did decided... You teach? I taught in my area. I taught uh, history of Christianity. My area is like second century Christian culture and history sort of when Christians were being thrown to the lions that period. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fascinating. And I was purely driven by interest because I just thought it was fascinating. And I got to work with amazing people and, and teach right in my area. But then I kind of was being, even then I was felt like I was drawn to do something different because I had only been in school my whole life. I I just went right through. So I got, you know, my first job when I was twenty age 29 so yeah so then i weren't there academics to... in your family isn't that yes yeah my family dad thing. yeah my dad's actually that was one of the reasons why i quit <laughs> <laughs> i retired because i was like i'm not as committed as as the people that i've grown up with and my 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 father's a retired academic and my mom my mom got her phd when she was like 65 so she's did like a lifelong learning. Cool. Yeah, there's my this is part of my dad's Holy library. Wow. It's in my house now. But yeah, so I just basically decided that I wanted to get into doing get into film and television, which I had dabbled in in London before I got the job in Colorado. And uh, then I went back to London. Well, this is like a lot of talking about myself. No, but, it's uh, great. <laughs> it's so fascinating. fascinating. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. We, and we, at that point, ironically, we decided that Denver was like not that interesting. And now I live in <laughs> Calgary, which is just like Denver, but like 10 degrees colder. But Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> but it is Canadian. Canadian. Um, but so, yeah, so, so I went back to London and, and started getting into the business side of film. And then I had kids. Got married and had kids, and that took me on a you know another. I just decided I just wanted to devote myself to that, and did was lucky enough to be able to do that. And after a couple of years, we moved back to Canada, and then I went, and then I just was easy for me to teach. So I taught in the university here for religious um, studies as well. Yeah, I taught religious studies, and then I also 
ended up teaching more general courses that really like I taught a course called texts and ideas where I just got to choose five texts, any texts I wanted to choose. And like texts that people teaching. sent each other. <laughs> yeah. Text messages. Was, did this. you have a whole thing on emojis? <laughs> that must've been amazing. <laughs> extra credit yeah. emojis were extra yeah. credit. It was just like, analyze this. And five texts. Wow. Yeah. It took me a long time to figure out what the winky emoji meant. Huh? Fair like, I was yeah. shocked that, that there's like some kind of weird sexual connotation with that. Oh, I had no idea until Char- my kids. Charlotte explained some yeah. of the fruits and vegetables to yeah. me that I didn't. Oh, wow. See, we're going to have to have a conversation afterwards so you can fill me in. That's another podcast. Cam, may I ask, since I am addicted to documentaries and the streaming services are just feeding my habit, I, w- I watch probably two of them a day. But tell tell us, are, are there are yours out there? What is there one that's the most memorable that you're most most proud of? Well, up to now, I've been make I've made a lot of shorts, and I'm working on two longer, like feature length films right now, and on two very different subjects. So. Yeah, it's a that's a wait and see, but I can tell you a little bit about them. Yeah, if tell you're us, tell, yeah. Oh, tell us. Give us a teaser. Okay, maybe I should make Di do the pitch because she's heard about both of them. No, you do it. <laughs> I could never do as good a pitch as you could. Do. <laughs> okay. I'll blow it. So, first one is about is it's about Gandhi. Mm. So I was telling you, my my dad um, is a retired professor. My dad's ninety four. He spent a lot of his spent like thirty years writing on Gandhi. Those are the collected I'm pointing oh at the, those are the collected works of Gandhi that. So those are for here there, there's like 200 books. Yeah. Maybe more. actually it's 100 volumes, but it looks like 200 books. It looks it like, like 200, 200 books when you wow. start reading it. Wow. And uh, yeah, he wrote a, he, it's based, it's like inspired by a paper that he wrote 20 years ago on, on Gandhi's clothing. And so uh, we're doing a film it's on it's it's about the evolution of Gandhi's clothing choices and Gandhi's impact on the sustainability fashion mm-hmm. sustainability movement. Wow. Excellent. Cam, that is so awesome and so needed and it's perfect for the timing we are in on planet Earth right now. You couldn't have picked a better time to be working on this and I'm sure can I just ask you I mean you you and I have talked about this before but you know, you're back in Canada where you grew up and you're making a film, obviously on Gandhi and, and obviously everything that he means for the world, but also he is obviously connected with the continent. How are you navigating that? How does it feel? To be based in Canada and making a kind of a film that has global impact. And also sort of personal, personal heritage side. Yeah, well, it, you know, I was introduced to Gandhi by my dad like a, long before I... I started working on this film and now, I mean, yeah, he's such a complex figure with so much to say to the present day. You know, he's generally seen as the sort of an apostle of nonviolence, right? As the kind of person who brought people together, tried to bring people together and, you know, developed these techniques of civil disobedience and satyagraha and that was particularly timely for you know the last century when he died you know the world was just coming out of the two world wars and you know needed a figure like that and it's interesting because actually he wrote a lot about the perils of modern civilization and the our our priorities i guess like he really was he was very critical of the fact that the priorities of modern civilization are really 
like consumer profit, like material and not spiritual or ethical, then they're like, you know, ad dharma. And that I think is a very, it's a really timely message for us to hear. It's a new message that we don't really associate with Gandhi. But when you see what he wore, you see how his clothing changed. He was, you know, in a handmade three-piece suit in his younger years for most of his life. And then he gradually, like, you know, came to wear next to nothing to identify himself with the poor. It's, yeah, it's then, just an in, amazingly uh, timely message. In between, he went through that MC Hammer phase where he was wearing the parachute <laughs> pants. I thought that was yeah, odd. In the yeah, eight, like, yeah, in the 1880s, <laughs> man. Really? Right. And the asymmetrical hair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was a good look. Yeah, he was, this guy was really obsessed with his clothes, actually. Yeah. I never would have guessed. Kidding aside, I never would have guessed Gandhi cared about his clothes. But Sorry, go ahead, Diana. Yeah, totally. Oh, no, I was just going to say, if you want to tell your listeners the name of the film and how they can follow it. Nice one. Just (laughs) as a plug. Yeah, the, the name of the film is Gandhi's Threads. Nice. And we're on Instagram, things just like at Gandhi's Threads. Yeah. And yeah, we're, it's a journey. So the personal part of it is something I never, I didn't expect. And my dad is 94 now and we had a really tough year this year. We lost my mom. And so sorry. Thanks. And so we're taking care of my dad. And so it's a real, like, it's an amazing way that I can connect with my dad over something that's, you know, mm-hmm. has been so important to him. And also my dad has given us such an amazing network of people for the film. So we've, you know, we've been introduced to Gandhi's grandchildren. We've interviewed for them for the film. We've just have this, a lot of support and that's, you know, kind of, you can't buy that support. No. Have you picked which, have you picked which theater in India it's going to open in? no not yet not there yet COVID's kind of put a a wrench in our shooting yeah I I was thinking that it would be an actual an awesome documentary with you and your dad like that could be its own documentary yeah that's I wish I was shooting that yeah Yeah. I wish I was in there so I could shoot that story yeah you you know what I'm saying because that also sounds equally compelling yeah I get that we get that a lot yeah. But uh, but we're actually focusing more on the stories of three of our, we have three subjects who are all sustainability activists in the fashion uh, world. And we're weaving Gandhi's story in with their stories because they're really like amazing people who have dedicated their lives to promoting values and ideals that Gandhi was bringing to the world's attention. Kim, what, what does a documentary film give the viewer that a non-documentary film does obviously documentaries are doing something right or producers are because it's this is like a you tell me if i'm correct but the golden age in documentary films and so yeah what is it that attracts you to that kind of medium well i do think that truth is stranger than fiction you know like some Mm -hmm. of the stuff that you see in in well-made documentaries is just you know, you you really can't, you couldn't make it up. But I think that for me, it's something, it's about connecting people with real people. And, you know, that really is the way to change people's minds and to break down barriers and to really, yeah, like creating connection and moving people is something that I've found, like, of course, narrative films do that as well. Documentary, there's the added element of you don't 
actually know what's going to happen when you're shooting it. You don't really know like how it's going to end. We don't really know once we get to shooting our subjects, we don't really know like there'd be all sorts of surprises and things that we didn't anticipate. And that's what I, that's what I really like. And then the direct, the direction of the film can actually change, right. Based on your experience. Yeah. I remember seeing a documentary on a, a kid who was, going to go back is kind of a trip down memory lane for him and he was going to retrieve his old baseball cards which he presumed were worth tens of thousands of dollars and everything and he had collected them with his dad he soon finds out that they're almost worthless and then the, the, the documentary kind of became about him and how this was wah, wah. like his you know i've, I've yeah. seen that film that's an but, awesome film yeah yeah, yeah. It's a good one yeah 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 and about his dad it can't became about the, the right. relationship yeah and i think that if you're open to that i you know i spent a lot of time in my academic career just working by myself and you know you go to conferences and share your work but it's very solitary and what i really like about this work is that it's very collaborative and it's also really open-ended. Like you don't really, you know, you got to just kind of go with the flow and see what happens. How many out? Oh, sorry. Meredith. No, please go. go. You go I was far. just going to ask what the other film is you're working on at the same time. The other film is the other film is a film about a therapist and her client who are they're on a kind of parallel healing journey and using psychedelic assisted therapy. That's a thing. Like not, the, oh, yeah. are we a talking few. about what's it called? Ayahuasca. Am I pronouncing that right? That is one <laughs> substance that, mm-hmm. that, that people use, but this is, this therapist uses like different substances. MDMA is one. Ketamine is one. Psilocybin is another. Mm-hmm. And she is treating somebody who has complex PTSD and she also has complex PTSD. Wow. And she uses her therapy as her own means of healing. So it's sort of thinking a lot about how, you know, we might assume that therapists have figured everything out and they're helping people. But what happens when a therapist really takes that, you know, directive to work out their own stuff and how are boundaries blurred and it gets messy. Healing is messy. Yeah. Um, especially when you're that talking about people who have complex uh, trauma does that have a working title cam it's called her medicine Mm. nice such good titles i know right yeah neither i I didn't make up either but as you're as you're doing this i mean i'm just struck by how different your navigation of your career has been uh, yeah and, and what you've done are there elements or seeds of what you studied when you started all this or taught even that connect you to what you're doing now or have you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The through line is just my interest in, you know, the human condition and why, you know, and, you know, it sounds really banal, but, you know, the search for meaning that is Mm -hmm. definitely what has guided me that guided me through my graduate work and my teaching and in both of these films and in in all the work that I've done it's that is definitely a through line you know Gandhi's Gandhi what is so really amazing to me about him one of the things is that his life was directed by this search for truth and he was open to transforming himself like depending on what he discovered and the two subjects in the other film in her medicine are both they're also searching for they're searching for truth they're searching for healing they're searching for meaning purpose in their lives they just have a like a lot of trauma that they have to unpack and and unwind to do that how, how did you come up across them through a friend she's a friend and i and then she just she asked me if i would be part of it so yeah 
that was tie uh, it back. Sort of uh, sorry, I was just going to say to tie it back to our experience going to high school in the eighties. What's so interesting is that I remember you very much as a deep thinker and you were always just, I mean, we were silly. Sure. I can remember some ridiculous. That's what I remember. I remember laughing a lot and just being silly, but also I think you were very contemplative. Like I have photos of you where you're literally, we're just like walking in the woods and you're just like thinking and, I mean, that's such the sort of angsty teenage years, but I think you were always really thinking about the deeper meaning of life and all of that. Yeah, I still haven't figured it out. (laughs) We were just going to ask you you what it was all about. Could you you just for us? That would be really great. That'd yeah, be I'll let you know. But I'll no, but, ser- but a serious twist on that. I mean, one of the reasons we we brought this whole thing together for this podcast was we're in the middle of this insane pandemic, and it is a pivot moment. Thought internally, spiritually, all that stuff. Has anything, you know, has anything come to bear in your thought process about your own life or how we think about things during this difficult human moment? Yeah, definitely. I've this year has been really transformative for me. Yeah, losing my mom was was really something that I'm still moving through. And I think that one of the things that I have learned or am learning just to take this down to a super serious level is that joy and pain are intermingled, that there that you cannot you can't avoid suffering. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, it's not a terrible thing. It just is the way that it is. And uh, yeah, that's something that I certainly have, you know, I, I did a course where I was teaching the Bhagavad Gita, which is a book that is very much like along those lines, or I've taught a lot of books, like I've taught a lot about those things. And then as you go on in your life, you start to experience them. And so that's totally, and I think many people can probably relate to that in this moment of great uncertainty around the world that, yeah, that there is, you can't avoid pain, you can't avoid suffering, and you need to move through it. And I, I think I have a joyful disposition, which helps. And I've had, you know, I've been very fortunate in my life. So I have, you know, lots of people who support me and love me. So that's very helpful. But you know, there are a lot of people who don't. Joy and pain, huh? <laughs> Sorry. Hold on. Oh, it's awesome. Joy. It's awesome. There's, there must be an 80s song that's about yeah. joy and pain. He's, yeah, he's finding it. Funny. And rain singing now God's children joy and pain. Yeah, of course there is. <laughs> is that Terrence Trent's Darby? No, it's Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. Ah. Takes you back, right? <laughs> All right. Hi, this is David Yaz, producer of The Link Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we hope you consider supporting us with a contribution through Patreon. The Link is a labor of love for us, but there are production costs attached to creating a quality show. And you can help us by visiting patreon.com slash the link podcast. We have some cool ways of thanking you for your support, including t-shirts, mugs, and shout outs on the show. You can do us a solid for as little as $5 a month, and we will continue to bring you great conversations that foster the bonds of our high school class and beyond. Once again, please visit patreon.com slash the link podcast. Now back to the show. Kim, how many hours do you have of each? What's your footage like right now? 
oh god my footage for the her medicine is just massive because it's it's observational so yeah i have i have a lot of footage and hopefully yeah just i'm just putting together the team that's going to work on this so i've got a really great editor great gonna help me through it and for gandhi's threads we've done a lot of interviews amazing interviews with with you know academics and and like Gandhi's family and so we have but that's a little bit different that's going to be a different film we're going to be using animation and and observational stuff that we haven't been able to shoot because we can't travel this year so I like animation I like animation and documentaries it's I far prefer it to those creepy reenactments where it's like some actor you know, pretending to be a guy with a knife or something. But a lot of docs get creative with the animation and it enhances things. Can you name a couple of your favorite documentaries? Yeah, sure. A documentary that I just saw that I really liked is called The Painter and the Thief. Mm. That's an amazing one. The, you know, there's, I mean, there's so many classic documentaries. Like right now I'm sort of on this observational kick. So like Hoop Dreams. Oh yeah. That's probably Mm -hmm. one that everybody's seen. That I was recently rewatching. Did you see the Mister the Mister Rogers one? The I didn't see the docu. Yeah, I did see the documentary. Yeah, I did see that. That was amazing. Made God, me, that made me cry. So, that one made, definitely made me Mr. cry. Mr. Rogers. Yeah, <laughs> like I feel like America needs Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So badly. Uh, the world the world needs Gandhi, and America needs Mr. Rogers. So. Yeah, I mean, America needs Mr. Rogers, who's not like a creepy Mr. Rogers, right? Like right. when that came out, I was just like, oh god, please don't like, make him creepy. Is Mr. Please. Rogers going to be creepy? Yeah, like, please don't. Come on, so, please. Like, I think everyone um, during that film was like, please don't let there be this horrible secret. Please yeah. don't let him. Well, that's what yeah. was amazing about him was the digger they dug, the more they found he was genuine. Uh, uh, he was so, yeah. A he friend. was such Thank a religious goodness. thinker. He was such a religious thinker yeah. and a person who really understood children. So it's an amazing story. Yeah, and so, like, kind. Another really great film, just to plug another Milton person that I saw recently. I don't know if you guys saw Sarah Colt's film called The Disrupted. No. Awesome. That's yeah, a great right. film for you guys. That's an American story contemporary story about like the shrinking middle class mm-hmm. in america it's really good yeah well cam since so, we're talking about milton let me ask you if there were any classes at milton that sort of sparked your journey on the spiritual element yeah well there's totally like ethics yeah, yeah. you know mm-hmm. the ethics class that was really like i wish my kids had that opportunity to have a class like that where you just talk about you know in a really non-technical kind of intense way just talk about sort of stuff and questions and it was a it was a small intimate class so you yeah. really you know didn't we sit in a circle or there like mm-hmm. it, yeah. it was yeah. it was super intimate and it, it didn't have the teacher classroom like we were all together and we all discussed all these different ideas it was one of my favorite most memorable classes there wasn't it actually didn't it take place in in the link in this in the upper level yes it did yeah Thank you. yeah it did Nice one. God, I was just, I just remember like, I must've been focusing on the tables a lot or the chairs. So I just remember like, yeah, sitting in the chairs, everyone really close. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great class. Yeah, definitely. Like I thought that was really interesting. And then I, I really loved this. I really loved, uh, do you guys remember Madame Beaumelin? Wait, definitely. She was so amazing. Yeah. And I took my French class. We took like existential, you know, we read read, uh, Camus and Sartre Mm -hmm. and 
and it was just she was so fiery about you know the their their existential angst and their you know trying to fight for the good i think i was in that class with you where we read oh. Soho. Yes, yeah, I think yeah, I yeah, was yeah. Too. We Were you in that class too? I must have been, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember, like, l'enfer, c'est les autres. What I Where remember is we had to reenact. Ruth Davis and I were, like, reenacting the rhinoceros. We had literally had to, like, make a costume and, like, wander around the room. <laughs> so that is what I remember. That's so funny. Yeah, I loved her. I just, I remember her books. Like, her copy of the books were so, like, worn in. And she just, like, she, she like, I just thought she was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally so, as producer, I should probably move the show along. But, Cam, that doesn't mean we're saying goodbye to you. You're going to stick around and play these silly games that we've prepared. But a reminder, as Cam's film, at least the first one you mentioned, Gandhi's Threads on Instagram. You also have a Facebook page, I just noticed. Anything else you want to plug while you're here? Be no? kind to each other. Be okay. kind to each other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We'll have How old are we'll your kids? My kids are 19 wow. and 17. Yeah, they're both in. So I spend a lot of time in the mountains and they are both doing online schooling and uh, skiing all day and doing their schooling at night. So how how has good. COVID affected you as a parent and as a filmmaker? And as a person, like, <laughs> wow. Okay. The multiple well, you're sidetracking Dave from his. Yeah. yeah some people don't know yeah. how to follow directions, but oh. let's let Cam answer that question. And then really quickly. Sure. I'll try no it. No be, it's just, a, it's just a pandemic. Global pandemic. It has affected. Well, it was, it's, you know, I felt, I've definitely felt the sting of it. You know, my mom was sick for two months. We couldn't see her in the hospital. So, and that was because oh, of COVID. So and now we have to be really careful around my dad. So, there's everyone's had that crazy COVID moment, you know, where they're like, oh, they're doing all the irrational COVID math. Like, okay, well, I saw him and they saw him and you saw her and like, what are the chances? And, you know, like, should I get tested? Like, I've been tested four times. So yeah, there's this underlying kind of, you know, uncertainty and just like, when will this be over feeling? And then on the other hand, like, we're really lucky. We have like a home in the mountains and we, we have been there and they basically didn't get COVID until this month. So we've been playing outside and just kind of in a little bubble away from it. And we've, and I've spent a lot more time with my kids, my family, my husband, when I'm running back and forth, but yeah, so good and bad, I guess. But yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to it being over like everybody. Let's do the segment that we call, do you remember? Oh God. We have to cue the phony rhythmics music for this one, of course. So this segment entails me producing three news clips or some kind of clips for the gang to take in. They all come from the 80s and to kind of tell us what you remember about these memorable moments. All right. The first one is kind of apropos because I'm going to show you a, if I can find it here, I'm going to show you an ad that aired during the Super Bowl in 1984. So let's take a listen and a look at this. Today celebrates the first glorious anniversary of the information purification directives. On January 24th, Apple Computer will introduce Macintosh. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. Oh, I think I got the chills. <laughs> I got the chills. I don't think I've ever seen that. Well, Me neither. It only aired once. It aired once during the Super Bowl. It's one of the most famous TV ads in history. And obviously we know what it's an ad for. But 
Do you, what, what do you remember about that? Well, any, Kamala, you're the media head. Cam, uh, do you remember that ad? Don't remember that. No? Ad. No one remembers this no. ad? Farah? No. I remember this ad. Okay. Of I remember this ad. Yes. All right. But, I mean, how profound, right? I mean, my God. Well, how some, ironic. Yeah, you know, some things, <laughs> some things don't hold up well over time, but it, was there ever, was there ever, I mean, was there ever a, uh, now, by the way, listeners, you don't, you didn't see the ad. You can, of course, Google it. It's the famous 1984 Apple Macintosh computer ad, but it's this dystopian future. And then this woman who looks like she just got off a shift at Hooters comes running down the aisle and throws a hammer. Maybe not. She was wearing the Hooters colors, but she throws a hammer at this big screen and it's a revolution. It's uh, but what a call, right? I mean, to come out and say this is going to be that bold and it was right. Yeah. Yeah, and yet, like, I have, I'm, like, we're all automatons, like, you know, enslaved to Apple. I am. I think that we're so much like those people in the audience. Exactly. When do I buy a new computer? When do I buy a new telephone? Yeah. Yeah. It's really kind of brought us to this passivity that I hate, you know? You're just sort of staring, like, is there anything new? What's happening now? (laughs) Let me refresh. So they, so in a way, Apple was wrong because, well, not 1984, but maybe 2021 turned out to be like yeah. Orwell's 1984 in a yeah. way. More and more. Yeah. I think we're becoming more and more like it. Farah, are you equally as cynical as these guys are? No, I am very, I'm very cynical, but I also will say I'm thinking about what the firm was who was hired to do that because <laughs> that actually intrigues me. What were they seeing? What was the thought process in putting that ad together? I mean, it was really, it was really brave also to do that, to risk your product with that kind of ad. I mean, my goodness. Yeah, But I think it's because they had a real underdog product. They had an underdog, you know, it was against IBM and the PC culture was very, I mean, remember MS-DOS. It was just like their interfaces were bad. Everything about those early computers, which we all had, we all worked on them at Milton, but they were we did? Yeah. We had computers well, at Milton? Yeah, I remember. Well, I mean, I, you might not have worked You had your abacus. We all had computers. <laughs> I had my abacus. Well, I still I, have that somewhere. I remember going to the computer lab and bringing mm-hmm. my floppy disk right. and hoping that it didn't crash or get corrupted. Which it did. The, the ad, Farah, since you asked, the name of the agency was Chiat Day, produced by a New York production company, Fairbanks Films directed by Ridley Scott. So the, the Hollywood director okay. who's done Blade right. Runner. That makes sense. Yeah. Actually, so, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Thelma yeah. and Louise. Right. All right. Well, let's move on to the next one. And this comes to us. It's a trailer for a TV special, but it's in a way so much more than that. Oh yeah. Mm. Jesus. And we can read what he's about to play. Here it is. President is presently in direct communication. We Soviet tanks deployed. Soviet tanks deployed. Soviet current world intelligence situation, and you might pay particular note to the nuclear submarines off the east and west coast. Having already captured NATO advanced positions. Hey, any of you guys hear anything about an alert? I really don't think either side wants to be the first to use a nuclear device. It's not a question of who, but where. East Germany sealed off the borders to West Berlin. 
Sorry, Jason Robards. In the film, The Day After, which was a made-for-TV movie, in fact, there is a global thermonuclear war, and it ends pretty much like you'd expect at the end. But do you guys have memories of that? And not only the, the film, but also the whole attitude of, of the Cold War and what was going on. Meredith? I, I do. I remember hearing about what it was going to be about, and I didn't want to watch it because I, we I was personally terrified of a nuclear war every day and like the Russians were going to attack us, the Cold War. And I remember turning the television on and it was exactly like the moment of the film, that last moment with a with a cloud. Mm-hmm. And I just I, I still have nightmares about it. It was horribly for me, very terrifying. Yeah. And the other tragedy, if it was the Steve Gutenberg survived the initial blow, I mean, you would think that we at least get rid of him. No, but others have thoughts of the of just having nuclear war on our minds all the time. I was going to say, my we weren't allowed to watch the film. My mother wouldn't really? let us see the film yeah. because she felt that it was too devastating and too frightening. And so it's that to me is... I maybe. think it was terrifying. <laughs> it was freaking, it was so depressing. I mean, I do feel like we, we grew up with that and then like AIDS, like sex equals death. That makes it sound like we grew up, we were in high school during a real fun period of American history. Yeah, AIDS. Yeah, AIDS and, I AIDS think and teenage the- pregnancy was worse than AIDS in my mind. Oh, it was really? all bad. Yeah. We didn't really know about AIDS yet, I don't think. Oh, maybe because my dad was an infectious disease doctor. <laughs> like, oh, that might have something to do with it. That's why I, I always associated it with that. Do you, you know what? I mean, one of the light. things, though, I will say, you know, look, this, ha- I, I remember the film. I remember, I think I was, I remember trying to have a conversation with people at Milton about it. Milton was not a foreign policy school. I mean, people were not having deep and real conversations about global affairs. And frankly, a lot of our classmates really couldn't have cared less what was happening in other parts of the world. I, I mean, just not to be cruel about it but that's- we were just unaware right, i mean unless we were- you took political science right. with what was the name of this teacher there Mr. were a couple Warren? of international picture him there were a couple <laughs> of international classes one on the middle east and one on, but I, that was such a such a closed group of people who were thinking about those kinds of things that i think that for me i remember just feeling like nobody was really engaged on the issue of nuclear mm-hmm. war or really understood that much about russia not that i did but just it's a sort of it was there, but it wasn't a big presence. Do you remember in the film who, which country started the war? No. Well, that's the correct answer because it was never revealed which country started the war. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They didn't want. They, they had to make use of certain military property, I guess. And so, in order to, they didn't want to make it look like we started the war anyway. But they in the movie, the characters just look up and see the missiles going off, and, and they say, "There goes some nuclear missiles." That means either we're attacking them or they attacked us and now we're firing back. Anyway. No, um, I do remember. It was all, I just, oh, it was chilling. Mm-hmm. Cam, Cam? Any, any thoughts before we move on? You're the filmmaker. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking, I seem to remember like conversations at Milton about the day after, like they were kind of making a big deal of it. And I, maybe in Canada, we, it wasn't somehow we were just like, wow. Ah get blown up we'll all get blown up but but i you know i wonder i often wonder like that is still a threat yeah. there's still a threat of oh, those bombs still yeah. exist sort yeah. of push it off to the side you know maybe pandemic is like you know like up there in the stakes but yeah i i think i would agree with farah like that that we that was a kind of a bubble and 
I think that nowadays, you know, kids are, there's maybe there's more globalization and we have more of a connection to the world around us. And those, these kinds of questions are, are being asked much more, or these issues are being put into the forefront much more than they were, you know, and that probably has a lot to do with the web as well. When, um, when you make a film, Cam, is where does, now I don't think Gandhi's Threads is going to have much shock value, but there, there but there, there's choices I guess you constantly have to make as to what's going to move the viewer, right? Can you just mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that dynamic? Because it fascinates me. Yeah, I mean, I guess that for me as like the person, I'm interested in like, you know, like really human interest documentaries and kind of subtle filmmaking too, where you really have to sort of develop some kind of connection to the people on screen so that it's, you know, when people are saying like, well, what's happening? Like, what's the action in the film? Sometimes like it's just the kinds of films that I really connect with are just slice of life. And so when you see someone, you know, like, and see someone actually having an emotion uh, on the film and you've grown to be connected to this person or you see, it might be something really subtle. So yeah, I'm not like like a kind of Ridley Scott that sort of in your face <laughs> kind of. That's action. not surprising. Strangely, sorry guys, that's probably why I'm doing independent stuff. But yeah, I think the decisions that that filmmakers make have to do with story and have to do with you know what yeah like what you're trying to do. And if you're trying to connect people with other people, then it's really based on you know how do you introduce someone and show their complexities, but also you know, be compassionate enough to, you know, make people love them. All right. It's now time on the show for Meredith's question of the week, working title for this segment. Now, it's actually a great question. And so Meredith is going to pose that to our guests and everyone can chime in. But Meredith, take it away. So my question is just to bring it back to, you know, the high school, you and you like what would your high school self think of you now and what would you tell your high school self as now do you know what i'm saying does that make yeah, sense i do know what you're saying yeah how my surprised would you be you know what i'm saying yeah i do i think that my high school self would be surprised to know that i'm living in my hometown and and that would be surprising but would i think would be you know pretty like pretty happy with what where I'm at. What I would say to my high school self is, you know, like sometimes I wish I had started what I'm doing now earlier, but I realized that like everything that I did before really like, I know it sounds, it's really trite, but everything that I did before really has prepared me for what I'm doing now. So to just, you know, relax into it. But then again, I was actually relaxed as my high school self. I just, I did just do what I was interested in, but, uh, but not to worry and not to be surprised. Don't be surprised if you end up mm-hmm. at home. Mer- <laughs> Meredith, how would you answer the question? How would I answer that yeah. question? Huh? Well, in high school, I thought, you know, like, um, if I don't get an Academy Award by the time I'm 30, just shoot me, you know, <laughs> right. like, I was so obnoxious. And just the fantasy of being an actor was, but I started photography in high school, and I'm now a professional photographer. So I think I'd be freaking psyched, like knowing that I'm in Brooklyn, making a living as a photographer, married with two Shih Tzus. I think that's a pretty high goal. I agree. And if I were to tell myself something uh, now, chill out. It's okay. 
What would your, actually, let's go around. Diana, same question. Same question. So I think my high school self would be surprised at how sort of self-directed and creative I was. Like the fact that I ended up in California of all places, totally different from anything I grew up with. I'm married to a general contractor, which I probably didn't meet or know any general contractors back then. I like, we have a daughter, we hike all the time. I probably put on hiking shoes once and hated it. (laughs) So I think I figured out so many things along the way that, that led me to where I am today. And I think my high school or my younger self would probably be like, wow. Like, cause I think back then I envisioned myself like in a apartment in New York city with my vanity fair job and, mm-hmm. you know, having my little refrigerator of like cantaloupe and cottage cheese. Like I didn't dream very big. <laughs> of yeah. course I would be like in a suit and thin and in high heels and all that, but like, that's totally not what I wanted. And that's not what I did. And then Okay, so how would my adult self? Yeah, what would you what now would I say? say? What would you say um, to your high school? I would self? just say nobody, nobody knows what the fuck they're talking about. Don't listen to <laughs> so any true. of those expectations yeah. that people yeah. have of you. Don't try to fit into anyone's category. Like, do whatever the hell you want, and you will be happy. Yeah. It took me a while to figure that out, but I, I wish I could have told my my miserable little high school <laughs> self. <laughs> Far, how about you? I think that looking back, I'm just trying to, I was reflecting on, on the answers given earlier. I think I wouldn't be surprised with what I'm doing right now, frankly. I, <laughs> None of I us are, Far. Yeah. Yeah, no. very funny. That, that's a really great day. Thanks. So I, I, I not an insult. Terrorism, okay? I meant, <laughs> I meant doing something international and public service yeah. oriented. That was very me then, it's me now. But I think I agree with Diana. I I think one of the things that's the biggest obstacle for all of us at at a school like Milton is that there are pathways that people expect you to go down and that you are, that there is a order, a linear, you know, trajectory that you're supposed to go down to get what you're supposed to do. And I think for me, looking back, I was very confused by that because I I didn't know how to navigate that. And I wasn't sure everybody in my family is either an engineer or a doctor. And so this idea that I wanted to do foreign affairs was really strange. And because, you know, I wasn't born in this country and I came to America and grew up with, without sort of the base of people in, within your own family, you could tell you how to navigate it. Everything was brand new. So I would echo what Diana said, which is, you know, just realize that your own path is your path and it's going to be a great one because it's authentic to you if you can manage it. So that's what I'd say. That's good. And and what would you tell your high school self? Sorry, Dave. Well, that's okay. That was a good, that was a good note. Thank you, Meredith. I I, I thought you were asking Dave. No. What would I tell my high school self about my future? Yeah. Yeah, If there's something you could tell your high school self right now. It's exactly that your own path is your authentic path and that you need to be able to feel confident in, in that, even though everybody around you may not have forged it or laid the bricks for you to walk down it, that there is a way forward. Right on. What about you, Dave? I would tell my... My younger self would be surprised because there's just too much to like my older self would go to my younger self 
and say, well, you didn't just like go to law school and get a family and have a dog with a picket fence. There are like 10 other things that happened that kind of took you away from most of those things. So my older self would tell my younger self, number one, just calm the hell down, kid, you're going to be fine. But, and if you're thinking about that script you have in your head of your life, just rip it up because it's going to, it's not going to be worth anything in a a few (laughs) years. It's always going to constantly change. And also young Dave, stop collecting movies on videotapes for the love of God, because they're going to be useless. I still have these things, but I would, but the, you know, it occurs to me, these things that we're, that our old self are telling, we should be telling our kids this now so that they get the yeah. advice now. And the, the, the one thing I've told my son that I think he said it was the best advice I ever gave him. I, I said, whenever you have a crisis, just know that every crisis you will have will seem less terrible as time goes on. It will pass. Whatever it is, you're worrying more about it now than you should. And that's that. I think that. So anyway, we I think we have sort of a zone of agreement. Yeah. In that philosophy, can, right? can I just and can I just bring it all together? Yeah, Lynn? do it. Do it. So I volunteered with my dog that just passed at the geriatric psych ward here in Brooklyn. And there was a day where they needed a volunteer and we came in and there was a 94 year old woman who was awesome. And we were sitting on her bed and. we were chatting and she's like, yeah, I'm just trying to figure my life out, you know? And she's 94. And I was like, so do we never, whenever we say, I'm just going to figure out my life. Like that's so temporary because I just thought it was, you know, I got to get my shit together. And she's like, I got to get my shit together before I die. So I just thought that that was. The moment you figure it out is when you figure out that you're never going to really figure it out. So don't bother. Well, we are kind of at time here. So I think I'll close the show since I'm the producer and I do that. Any final thoughts, friends? Thank you, Cam. Thank you. Thank you so much for asking me. I don't know. You guys have uh, mine. Awesome. Yeah, thanks a lot for asking me. It's great to see you all so and have a conversation you. with you. I love all you guys. I love you. I want to you're, talk to you you're more. You're so inspirational. It's so wonderful. Seriously. To story. Really, I, I, I just was very moved by what you said. And oh, congratulations wow, okay. with all of it. I can't wait to see them. They're, it's such, they're both so awesome. They're just great. Yeah, so, Kim, where are your lectures on on the first part of your career when you were teaching school? And yeah. where can I go to get the master class on, on the five books <laughs> I'm supposed to read? And, and the oh, five texts. Like, you just have to email oh, me and I'll give you a reading list. I love it. I love, but yeah. I want you teaching it to me. That's the whole thing. I oh, yeah, that is. I want like, that portion, too. I can just like, you know what? YouTube. Like, I can do that, too. I can and, do and that, too. For send a me the text. <laughs> the five texts. So we yeah, will I can totally send you the five texts. We will put my all students, the my students maybe hate them after a while. It's like I can never read that book again five years so to our listeners make sure you do check the show notes because we'll have info on all of cam's projects that you should be following and other cool stuff in there about ways to get in touch with us if you like this podcast and we sure hope you did make sure you subscribe please Please subscribe to us on apple Podcasts. leave a review if you're so moved and on behalf of farah and diana and meredith and our awesome guest cam my name is dave thanks for listening to the link (laughs) 